Welcome back, guys, to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli. We have got what I would consider to be one of the biggest underachievers probably in America. He just, he does not do that much. Uh, I'm kidding. We've got uh, Joe DeSena, the the CEO and founder of Spartan Race, uh, New York Times bestselling author, uh, created a multi-million dollar pool company as well as a construction business in college. Uh, This guy just has no off button, I'm assuming. Um, Joe, how are you today, man? Awesome. Thanks for, thanks for saying that. You know, I was feeling a little, um, I was feeling like an under, my, my wife said, you know, we've been together 22 years and she said, look, um, for the first month or two, it's a lot of fun. You know, you waking up early and doing all this stuff and it's kind of exhausting now after 22 years, can you tone it down? So, um, I don't, I, I just assumed it was a bad thing. So I'm glad you just said that you gave me a little shot in the arm. Well, well, here's the thing. So my wife, we're, we're only uh, three years married and I'm always on the road. She's like this. I, I thought she knew what she was getting into. Uh, high performers are not easy to live with. I, I have no doubt for your wife and my wife it is. And I, and I hate to self-proclaim I'm a high performer, but I'm, I've always got to be doing something. It, it, it is I, when you say let's go to Cancun for a, a, a week vacation I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. And when I get there, it's like, no, I got to send these emails. And I got to do this. And I got to do this. And I ruined the vacation for have, have you figured out ways to turn it off? The only time I've been able to turn it off ever is, is um, when I do something really incredibly physically exhausting. If I do, you know, if I was to go out on a 48 hour bike ride and I come back to the house and I collapse on the wood floor, like, I feel okay with that. Like, okay, I'm allowed to rest now, you know? Otherwise, I just don't feel like I'm worthy of resting. I have stuff to do. I think any psychologist listening would probably be like, you've got problems. So basically, you just said, I've got to wear myself out to exhaustion in order to relax mentally. But I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, you don't have to agree with me here, but let's, let's no. dive into that. Um, I think the rest of the world has problems. I think you and I have it right. I think... The rest of the world somehow is okay with just wasting time sitting on that beach in Cancun, um, staying in bed for an extra hour. Um, like life is so precious and so short. I, I, like that's a crime almost. It's a crime to just not be doing and getting stuff done and helping and hustling. You know, what he, what he, Socrates said something along the lines, and I'm going to butcher this, that it is a shame or a crime or a sin to have not seen what the human body, your particular human body uh, could achieve in terms of physique and strength and endurance. And, and I agree with that, that quote. It just seems like society has come so far from that. I mean, in, in, I've got a new book coming out. You, you, you've got multiple bestsellers where, you know, it was Professor Dudley Sargent Harvard that advocated for physical training in, in grammar school, high school, and, in you know, it's it's formed around the whole person concept, mind, body, and spirit. But it, it just seems like I have one friend that calls it like it's moral obesity. Moral obesity. Not oh, only, that's a good one. yeah, not only are we becoming obese, but we're becoming morally obese due to sort of comfort. I'm stealing that. I'm stealing that. Here's here's my take on the whole thing. Tell me if you agree. I'm going to sum up the whole world in like five six sentences here. Um, we are naturally lazy. Uh, there's a few of us, probably one of 1% that 
that have this psychological problem where we just do, 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 right? That you and I just spoke about. And, um, but the rest of us, the 99.9% of 8 billion people are, um, are lazy. And, and, and that's, not, uh, because they're, that's not because they're bad people. That's because the brain is wired to uh, protect us from uh, overexertion, from heat, from cold. And so it's holding us back from ever expending too much energy uh, because that's a threat to the brain and to the body. So I get it. And so I would argue that we need leaders um, that force us to uh, get up and get after it for the 99.9%, right? You and I probably need leaders that slow us down, our wives, and say, take it a little easy. But, the, but 99.9% of the people need leaders that give them a kick in the ass, get them in shape, make them eat more salad. Um, and I know people listen and are like, that's ridiculous. We need our freedom. Oh, I get it. I get it because most leaders um, throughout history um, are not benevolent, um, right? They start to do wacky things because power gets their head. And that's the reason we created what we created in America. But left to our own devices, um, we don't get after it. And if you don't believe me, Wake up at 5 a.m. in New York City where there's 8 million people living there and go for a run in Central Park and tell me how many fucking people are out there running with you. There's like nine. And I know there were at least 9,000 that decided they were going to run that morning, but they didn't show up. And so um, I guess I would argue that we need a little more, you know, JFK's presidential fitness. Pro- like, think whatever you want about China or Russia or whatever. And right? I get it. Leaders are we- it's crazy. We don't. But but I kind of like I kind of like when I hear uh, the president of China say, hey, we're going to take our children. They're going to get after it. We're not going to allow them to, to watch play these video games. Like I like that part of, of, of that structure. Um, I get a lot of pushback in America when I say all this because they'll say we need our freedom. And I'm like, I get it. But do you really need Slurpees? Like, have you been to Disneyland lately and looked around and seen what people like? Have you looked at obesity rates? Have, have, like, we're not exactly the number one country in the world in every respect because not because for no other reason than we're naturally lazy creatures. That's it. I've, I've always said that psychology at the root of it is lazy. You will always default to the path of least resistance and more so when putting entitlement and comfort is in overabundance right now in the United States. And so people have become accustomed to looking for the hacks and the shortcuts, these, these, these wacky fitness devices that, oh, hey, put this. Have you seen the things where you, you put it on your abs and turn on the knobs? And it's like, hey, it's the equivalent of 1,000 uh, pushups. Be that as it may, it may be 1,000 pushups, but that is a hack if not combined with a solid diet, with a solid workout plan, with habits. Because when you, you, we all know when you go for those shortcuts, ultimately you're not creating the neural pathways, the disciplines that are needed for the foundation. I, I love this, Joe. This is, this is if anyone's, anyone was given a choice, in the left hand, I've got this, this blue pill, which will give you, you know, take you to, let's say, 10% body fat uh, overnight. Or over here, I've got a checklist, a, a, a process to slowly build uh, you know, a, a regimen where you lose weight, you gain muscle mass, and you, you, you reach peak fitness. But, oh, it's going to take six months to, to 18 months. People will take the blue pill, but they'll lose it as quickly as they found it because those habits, again, those neural pathways are not set. You'll continue to eat uh, 3,000 to 5,000 calories. You'll continue, if you're a 175 pound male, to only get 100 grams of protein, far below what you need based off your, your, your macro uh, uh, nutrients. 
it, it's it's insane. Um, no, I agree with you. Uh, I, I do agree that there is some balance. I've yet to find that balance uh, between being a high achiever and, uh, and knowing how to, 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 to relax. I still have not found that balance. Let me comment on that. So, so um, this is, by the way, this is all I think about every day. Like this is all it consumes me, this whole thing, because um, I keep thinking with every passing generation, there is no way it gets better. Like we're not going to wake up one day and say, you know what? We need it harder. Everybody, like, I can't even do it with my own family, right? I have to physically turn the hot water heater off to get people to take cold showers. I have to get bagpipers to come visit early in the morning to wake everybody up. So my own family, we own a company called Spartan where we're, we're asking the whole world to do burpees and get in shape. And it's a fight in my own house. So the, our country and the first world countries around the rest, they're not going to wake up one day and say, we want to do things harder. We want to get rid of six minute abs. We want to do 60 minute abs. It's not going to happen. Every year is going to get soft and worse. And I would say if you and I were having this podcast back in the 1820s, I think you and I would be advocating for more penicillin, more couches and more Netflix because life was hard back then. Yeah. Right. So anyway, it's really um, I don't I don't look, I don't know how we change things. I mean, I think about it. I'm I'm selling in your example of the pill in one hand and the checklist. I'm selling the checklist. Yeah. It's, I, I'm in the worst business on the planet. Who the hell wants to buy the checklist? No one. Yeah. It, you think about this in this mind. So I, I've come to realize this. Every time I reach a goal, it's like a, it's a shoulder shrug. I'm like, oh, okay, what's the next ridgeline? What, what's next? I never find joy in the destination, but I have found pride and I look back. And it's my wife who's like, look at all that you've accomplished. You had a, a successful SEAL career, 20 years, made it to JSOC, the, the elite of the elite. And now you're jumping into Everest. Now you're going to jump all seven continents in seven days. Like, what? why? You've already done so much. But and she's saying you continue to go on. Um, the, the destination is completely worthless, dude. But the journey, what you learn about yourself and, and your strengths and your weaknesses, uh, I mean, the journey is about adding deliberate discomfort throughout your life to continually grow. I do believe, and we found this, uh, and this is not, I mean, this is not new to you, but to a lot of people, true learning and growth take place when pushed outside your mental and physical comfort zones. When you can combine those, it's especially powerful, but that's also where true character emerges. So people that constantly find a way to deliberately add discomfort to their life, uh, life develop these character attributes that, again, make them stand out from, from everyone else. Congrats. Congrats on um, your undertakings and congrats on what you've gotten done. And I agree with you a thousand percent. It's the journey, not definitely not the finish line ever. Uh, that, that takes a few seconds, right? And then you're back to another starting line somewhere else. But I would say... Here's a visual for anybody listening on what you just said about deliberate discomfort and how it builds character. Imagine we had two human beings and those human beings were plants. Let's just have some fun. And one of those plants grew up in a greenhouse where they were watered on demand and the temperature was perfect and there was no wind. Um, how would they possibly develop character and resilience and grit? And the other human being, you, for example, grew up on the side of a mountain and you had to wrap your roots around a rock to hang on. And it was windy every day. Like that's what we're talking. It's, it's so simple when you have that visual, right? Like you don't want to grow up in a greenhouse because as soon as you get put outside, you're dead. Right. You know, you talked about GFKs. You know, one of my favorite figures is, uh, is Teddy Roosevelt. I am fascinated with that dude. If I had one wish and, and, and when I get to heaven, if that's real and, and I'm a Catholic, 
I will tell the Lord to move out of the way. Where's Teddy Roosevelt? I'm sure I've got a bottle of whiskey for him. I just want to hear those stories. That, that guy was a, a beast. But hey, Joe, I, I'd love to go back because you've always been a high, high performer. But at one point, you know, you found yourself in the rat race. You, you, you'd felt that. And, and for, for you, putting on a little weight may, may be minuscule to other people, but you did not feel happy with yourself and you decided to make a change. And you, let's, let's say as a terms of career switch, that's a pretty drastic uh, career switch going from being a trader to into the adventure space. Take us back to that moment because there may be people where they can actually sort of empathize or, or find commonality with where you're at compared to where they're at right now. And maybe you may have something for them to get off that damn couch and to leap into action. Yeah. So for me, I was lucky, right? For me, I, my mom and dad fought, physically fought when I was a kid. And I assumed that that fighting came from the struggles of like money. And, and um, I assumed that if I had enough resources to be able to smooth out the ups and downs in a marriage and, and, and growing a family, that it would make it less likely that my wife and I would fight. So I went on a pursuit to make some money. And I, I was lucky enough to land on Wall Street and we were making money. Um, but in order to make money, I had to do a lot of dinners. I had to hang out with people at night. I had to work 24 seven, but not physically work, no sweat. It was just, just stress, sit, eat, talk. And, um, and it's no wonder, I mean, we get to live inside this body. If this body is not being taken care of, um, we don't f feel good. The brain is inside the body. So I wasn't feeling good, but I was making money and I was lucky in that I, I didn't need to make a billion. That wasn't my plan. I needed to make enough money where I could weather the storm and, and, and grow a family. So when I hit a number, I said, and, I, and now I have to find an unbelievable woman that'll take on this challenge with me. I was lucky that I hit the number. I met the woman um, and, and I, was, I had just fallen in love with all these crazy races I found all over the world. And so everything kind of triangulated and came together at one moment late 90s, early 2000. And um, I pulled the ripcord and, and I sold the company and I, I moved to Vermont and bought a farm with my wife, got some goats, chickens, made some babies and started this business called, called Spartan. And um, the quickest way to become a millionaire is to start with 10 million and start something called Spartan uh, <laughs> because you lose nine right away. I mean, it, it's been a, an absolute disaster financially. But but I have a feeling when you and I end up in the heavens, I'm going to be able to pull a favor and get you that meeting with Teddy Roosevelt because I've gotten so many emails from people that say they're not drinking anymore. They're not doing drugs. They're back with their husband. They're back with their wife. They lost 40 pounds. They gave up drugs, like all this unbelievable stuff. And so um, I don't get paid in dollars. I get paid in lives changed, you know? Impact. You get paid impact. impact. Yeah. I've always yeah. said the greatest currency in life is, is not money, it's impact. Um, yeah. And those who have it in spades uh, have found a higher semblance of, of happiness than those with, uh, with cash. But it's also the same thing, man. How many rich guys have I met who are rich in the bank and poor? I mean, poor in character. Yeah. I mean, it, the plentiful. Dude, uh, so uh, a book that everyone's got to pick up, Spartan Up. Uh, you know, let me start with this. You've got a fascination with the Spartan, Spartan culture. What was it about the Spartan culture that pulled you in? I think um, we didn't get into it. My mom back in the 70s got into yoga and meditation. She started doing trips to India, which was pretty wild for somebody living in Queens, New York. 
But um, there were a lot of philosophies coming out of those trips and, and my mom's interactions with yogis and stuff. And it was around simplicity. It was around not being attached to material things. Um, it was very Spartan in many ways. And um, that combined with this idea that the Spartans were some of the best warriors, if not the best warriors throughout history, the number one export of ancient Sparta were generals, right? Like, like countries and, and city states would call them up and say, listen, we need somebody fast. We're being attacked. Spartan would show up and solve the problem in about 11 seconds. So easy for a, a, a young boy or a, a man to get excited about uh, the ethos and, and what Spartan stood for. So, um, yeah. And, and by the way, they didn't write down very much, right? They didn't speak many words. So we get to imagine what what it was. And, and, um, and, and they become that, that Rocky Balboa or... Um, gladiator whatever whatever it is in our mind that the perfect warrior yeah the the, the 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 mythos of the spartans will live on for uh forever i think you know in the book you you talked about delayed gratification which i'm a big proponent of um again we we, we just hit on this why can't people delay gratification these days i was just thinking I, when you said it i was thinking um about our wives and, and like my wife said, like, when do we get to enjoy something? Like when, when like we, we are delaying for 22 years, we've been married. When, when is the moment where we get to have the cookie? And um, I'm thinking maybe it's when we're in heaven. Maybe, maybe that's when we, maybe we do it at the end, but I think people can't do it for everything, for every reason we said here, I'm a believer. If we had a whiteboard behind me, right. And uh, the top of the whiteboard, if you could envision it, is complete like success. You've got everything in life, the perfect woman, um, all the cars you want, all the money you've achieved, everything you thought was incredibly valuable. The bottom is like you're just struggling for water, food and shelter. Most of us live somewhere in the middle, maybe 60% up the board. So draw, draw a horizontal line across the board. And, um, and folks are constantly chasing to get to the top of the board. They want more. And if they get a little more, they'll be happy. And it turns out they're not that happy when they get to 67% of the way up. And then they need a different car. And then they need this and they need that. And I would argue, and I'm sure you agree with me after what you've been through, um, happiness actually comes from going down towards the bottom of, of the board. And, and you drop below the line and you take some things away from your life. You delay some gratification. When you get back to the, to, to the line, when you get back to your normal life, you're like, oh, my God, this is the best grape I've ever eaten. I can't wait to see my wife. Like, you know what I mean? Think about all that. You're so happy. The, the ancient samurai, the story goes, at night when they went to bed, they would close their eyes and they would burn all their possessions and their family in their mind so that when they woke up and everything was there, they appreciated all of it. So I would argue um, when we have everything, we appreciate nothing. When we have nothing, we appreciate everything. And, um, and I think delaying gratification is a muscle um, you have to develop. And, and, if, and if you're a warrior, uh, we have a responsibility to help those around us um, and hold them accountable and help them. Like my job is to help my family delay some gratification. You know, the simplest I've ever lived and there was a lot of happiness was when we were in a war zone. So I had, I was surrounded by 40 of my brothers, all elite in their own right. And trust me, I was, I, I like to say, I was always the bridesmaid, never the bride. What I mean by that, I was, I was never the top performer. 
I could hold my own. I can contribute to the team win. But you had your twin bed separated with these these plywood walls. You, you didn't have that much room. You didn't have that many possessions besides your kit, maybe a couple ch- you know, changes of, uh, of civilian clothing, your uniforms. And it was simple, man. And all we focused on was getting outside the wire to bring the fight to the enemy. And so you you rather than sit on the camp and just watch movies or, or read books, we wanted to get out there. We wanted to to pursue the enemy. And it, life was so enjoyable. And then you'd actually return to the States and it was just noise. It was all you know, just noise. My, my opinion, you'll help me think this through even beyond this podcast. And I'd love to come back and you know, circle up on this. My opinion is um, when we read books and we watch movies on uh, men and women, just not being aligned, right? Because the man is describing exactly what you just described. I was with my brothers. We were in a twin bed and that was the best. And, and um, our wives want to go to Cancun. I'm not pick my wife to go with your wife in two seconds to Cancun. So, um, but, but it's not just our wives, it's movies, books. We see the same story play out. I'm convinced that in general, men, especially warriors, we want to live at the bottom. The people listening, look up, if you don't know it, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes. And, and I think men want to live closer to the bottom. Like it's really refreshing to, to just want water, food and shelter. Like everything escapes your mind. You were happy as can be inside that war zone. And um, I was in the Ukraine a week and a half ago. I have to say three days in the Ukraine were the best three days, the last three years for me. <laughs> it was the best three. Like, and how could that be? Because I just wanted water, food and shelter. You know what I mean? Like it was, I was the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy. Women, especially in the first world, especially women that are married to us, they're pushing for the top of the pyramid. So and there's nothing wrong with with either. It's just like we're in two different complete planets. You know, you know what I mean? Like I want to be on that twin bed in the middle of nowhere with just some basic food and water. You, at the same regard, I don't think I don't think I would want to be married to a woman that liked living at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I, I, I think it's a yin and a yang that that keeps me contrasted. I also think it's what attracts our wives to us and vice versa is that they, they do love that. There, there's a masculinity again with the, with the, 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 the bottom of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs to provide food, water and, and, and shelter for, for our families. There's nothing more manly or masculine than that. That's the, the basic needs. The very, the, you're saying the very, and I agree with you, the very thing that attracts them is the thing that drives them crazy. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think it's the same for us. Um, and yeah, and I, and I agree with that. Um, and I agree with you that, um, it would be like somebody said to me recently, Joe, your kids would be an absolute mess if your wife was like you. And so, uh, it's good that there's a balance in the house where she's normal and I'm not. Yeah. I look, I, I look back at, you know, my dad was, that man was, I, I'll, I'll say it hard as balls. Um, and he very much was the disciplinarian and, and my, my father did very well for himself, came from very little but hated bullies. And I, I saw my dad knock out men that were, you know, two men bothering a, a son uh, and a father and they were big bullies. But so my, my dad, I always learned that side, but my mom was definitely the emotional, spiritual rock, you know, the, the, the quintessential Catholic uh, with, with the quotes and Bible verses, but um, there is a balance there. Uh, it, it's interesting as you look at society in the blurring of, of father and, and mother figures, you know, both are required to, to create balanced 
children, um, to, to your point, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. And, um, my oldest now is 17. My youngest is nine. Another interesting little observation is, um, the youngest that we have four children, the youngest, um, we pay the least amount of attention to because by the time you have the fourth, right, you've been like, we're exhausted. And she's got the greatest personality. Like she's just on her own. She puts on an apron. She was rearranging all the cabinets in the kitchen the other night, like just by herself. And um, the first one's you, you overparent for sure. So that's an interesting observation I've noticed lately. So Joe, you know, one of the things, I don't know if this was part of your grand design. And often when, when we start these ventures, there's, there's no grand design. It's you iterate as rapidly as possible. But, you know, I do believe again, Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is that we do need a sense of homecoming and belonging. I'll, I'll use the word, which is sort of taboo. Now I say trot. We need a trot. And for me, that was the military. And I loved it. I loved it. And when you leave, you lose it. But for a lot of, you know, everyday warriors, everyday citizens, they don't naturally have that tribe. And I'm not talking about a fraternity or that you went to a university and you're part of the alumni I, I consider those superficial and I'm not denigrating anyone who's earned those or is part of a sorority or fraternity, but you go to your site and you know, you've got people with the Spartan headbands on and they're, they're all you know hands in the air. They're yelling. You've created this sort of outlet, this, this tribe through this commonality through, through hardship, which some people call shared adversity. I mean, is, is that lost on you? Was that part of your original design or did this community just sort of emerge and you couldn't have, you couldn't have even, even guessed it. When, when we started um, back in 2022 years ago, my vision was I thought there were 50,000 people globally like you that would that would climb Everest, that would row a rowboat across the Atlantic, that would do a 500 mile run. And um, I was going to basically group them together because those people were inspirators in my mind. They would inspire mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um the first few races I put on were very long distance and um, very few people showed up for them, of course. By 2010, I lowered the bar. It became a three-mile race, an eight-mile race, 13-mile race. The name was Spartan. We had this competitor out there called Tough Mudder. And um, the first race under the brand name Spartan, 700 people showed up, more than I had had in a whole decade prior, like combined. And I happened to have a guy with me that um, worked for Discovery Channel, and his job was to determine whether or not a new show would work and, you know, whether they were going to air it on, on Discovery Channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he would look at, like, social psychology, and he was sitting there as this race unfolded, this first first branded Spartan event with 700 people, and he said exactly what you said. He said, oh, my God. He goes, this is like a cult. He said, um, they're finding... Um, commonality, community. They're transforming. This is unbelievable. They're getting dirty. And he was laying it all out in a much deeper uh, sense than I, you know, I, I had a start line, I had a finish line, I had cool obstacles, but he was, he was going a lot deeper for me. And, um, I didn't, you know, I just didn't know. And, and we put on a second race and third race and sure enough, he was right. It became church in some ways for folks that maybe didn't grow up like you did, or I did where they went to church. It became a place where they could, um, you know, it was clean. It was healthy. They weren't drugging and drinking, right? They were doing. They were, they were forced to to leave a lead a clean life leading up to the event. Um, everybody was nice. There was shared suffering. Um, and then before you know it, you've got you know forty thousand tattoos out there with Spartan. Who doesn't want a Spartan tattoo, right? And 
and it's got a it's got a connection to the military it's got a connection to ufc it's got a connection to you know like crossfit like and it just yeah it became it became church now you guys are expanding uh, i think we just had yuri on from uh forgive me i'm gonna outlander the oh, hi, oh from highlander yeah highlander. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And so you've you've basically taken them on to assist them and, and stand that up. I mean, are, are there plans to expand beyond Highlander and Spartan or, or is there a grander vision for, for what you yeah, built? Yeah. So so um, th- there's a company, LVMH, public company out of France that owns a bunch of high end brands um, that sells all kinds of stuff that people don't need. Fancy scarves and, you know, briefcases and pocketbooks and stuff and shoes. And um I said, why can't we be like that? Why can't we be a house of brands, but we would be like a house of hard? So you don't know what Mike or Joe, whoever is going to be excited by that's going to get them off the couch. It might be a Highlander hiking event. It might be the toughest mountain bike race in the world, a paddleboard race across Hawaii. Can we um, curate all these different disciplines under one house, gain some efficiencies because, you know, this is what we do. And so that's the vision. Um, I just didn't expect that we that COVID would hit and um, we would be surrounded by the enemy 360 degrees and out of ammunition. But mm-hmm. um, but other than that, yes, that's the plan. So COVID, you guys must have that was a good one. down the hatches and embraced. Yeah, that was a yeah. good one. Um, just I, so, I mean, he really said something similar. He said it was it was especially as, as Highlander was starting to pick up traction. He said it could the, the timing could not be worse. Well, we had when COVID hit, we had already sold 450,000 entries for 2020. So um, I had 450,000 very angry people that couldn't race, couldn't get their money back, and they just wanted to kill me. Um, To make them somewhat happy, we offered two entries for when the world opened back up in a few weeks, because there's no way the world's going to stay shut for more than a few weeks. When it opens back up, we'll give everybody two entries. That's $90 million worth of entries we gave away. Um, so when we went to open the world back up, finally in 2022, um, you've got to burn through $90 million of free entries. Um, so to say, yeah, it's been, but listen, I'm alive. I got my fingers and toes. I'm sitting here talking to you. I got, I got no complaints. Would you guys ever consider doing this for like grammar schools setting up? Oh my God. Obstacles just to, just to get kids the thrill of. Of, of I, um, negotiating this thing? So I, we have a farm in Vermont, which is where this all started back in, you know, 22 years ago. And on the farm during COVID, um, I started this thing called, which is probably just like the word tribe is a problem right now. I'm sure that we call it the death camp um, because kids get excited when they hear when they hear death camp. You can call it death. We'll change it to death week. So um, I wanted it for my kids, basically buds training for kids. Um, and we torture. I mean, they're up at 5 a.m. They're getting screamed at by drill instructors. They're in ice cold water. They're chopping wood. They're carrying sandbags up. To put it in perspective, every day before breakfast, they do Murph. That's like the, just to start the day, they're getting Murph done. And, um, and it's awesome. And the kids come out with character and stronger. And, and it's great for my kids because I've surrounded them with 50 kids. So it's not just dad screaming at them. And what I love to do it in 3,000 schools, of course, I would like like one day, half day, and it would be the greatest thing. But I need the DOD. I need somebody to um, partner on it because I can't, I, you know, I can't make it make it work. But um, but I know the curriculum. I know it would work. I just need 
you know, by the way, I could solve the entire country's recruiting problem in 11 seconds with it. 11 seconds, uh, save them billions of dollars of advertising. And, and, and we'd have amazing new, a new generation of amazing kids with character that, that would follow in your footsteps in your career. When you, we, when you weave in all the, the leadership lessons, the character lessons into, into that type of tough training, it's even for adults. So I own a company called Talent War Group and we do leadership development. Yes, we can do it in the classroom. We can do it in-house. But, you know, the data shows that only five to 10% of what's taught in the classroom is retained. And so I do, you know, I do talk to a lot of CEOs. I'm like, give me give your people, you 50 of your top leaders. We're going to go to Yosemite for five days. You know, the biggest obstacle we often hit is the HR. Oh, no, no, no. This is a liability. And, and, and Todd is, Todd is not in the best shape. And we're not, we're not putting them through hell week. Simply put a compass and a map, give somebody a short class and get them out of an office. And even moving five miles a day through, let's say, um, rugged terrain, it, it pushes people past their mental and physical uh, comfort zones. But it's amazing how many companies are, yeah, the liability that, that, that we, we can't do it. And they miss out on the shared adversity. They miss out on the hardship. Even in this is what we found when we do do it, the person that struggled the most throughout the week, and you know who that is, is usually holding their beer the highest bragging about how awesome that was on the Friday after you pulled them out of the field and in watching them together share a beer or a drink. Like it's a different, it's a different team dynamic. And by the way, there's no more important a moment in throughout history when it's needed because people are not in offices anymore. Think about that, by the way, wall street journal did an article or somebody did an article the other day. Not only is this, you know, out of office nonsense, um, right. Ripping, ripping the entire workforce apart. Now they're talking about, now they're recommending working, how to work from bed, swear to God, article hit the internet, how to work from bed because it's too complicated and too hard to even get out of bed and change out of pajamas and take a shower and work out and then work from a desk. Now you just work from bed. Hey, if, if for a company, they've got a remote policy. Awesome. You, again, talent or group, we're an executive search firm. We also do HR consulting. I've got a team of people that have been in HR for decades and they're, they're very aggressively minded people. They're very good. And the co-author of my book, George Randall is one of the best. And I'm not a fan of the remote work environment. It removes the human component. It move, it removes the collaboration and innovation. And again, is there is maybe is there a hybrid? Yeah, I, I can see that. Or maybe policies where it's certain days in the office allow them to work home. For, but hey, whatever floats your boat. With my company, it's one hundred percent in the office. We either win as a team or we don't win at all, and that requires being wow. together. That requires especially creating relationships. And I saw Twitter hate lover hate Elon Musk. He said at some point for Tesla, no, no more remote. You're in the office. He just did the same for Twitter, and it is like hell hath frozen over in San Francisco uh, when he did that, uh, enacted that policy. I'm, I moved. I moved my family. I, I mean, we were living in Vermont. We had an office in Boston. I had over 100 people in that office pre-pandemic. Post-pandemic, I couldn't get 25 people to come in uh, consistently. I couldn't get 25 of 120. Who's in Maine? Who's living here? They got to do their laundry. The traffic's too much. I, I lost my mind. I said to my wife, we're moving to a city where I could rebuild an office where people come to work. So I'm living in Orlando now. I got 25 people that come into work every day. My office in Boston. I'm in Orlando. I moved to Orlando. I literally moved my family to because I believe, like you believe, that uh, face-to-face, walking over, talking to somebody is is valuable. Oh, completely. 
And I got I would miss that human dynamic. Could, could you imagine if the military said, hey, we're going to go remote? We'll, 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 we'll gather uh, once a weekend or one, one I, weekend I, a month. And, and I, joke, I, I joke about that. I, uniform services doesn't get to go remote. Um, I, w- I was waiting for a plane at Denver Airport and um, the flight got delayed and delayed and delayed. Finally, they got on the radio and they said, oh, the pilot decided to work from home today. Doesn't work. Right? <laughs> like, doesn't work. It's uh, we are we are in different times, my friend. But I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir on that one. Hey, Joe, um, we're going to post all the books and, and where to find Spartan uh, so that people can get involved. Here's what I'll say to the listeners. Just go do one. Even even if you're not in the best of shape, get through it. You'll get through it slower. Don't focus on the time. Focus on completion or get as far as you can. And I guarantee you will feel a sense of accomplishment. But, Joe, the way we finish this up, again, we believe and the reason we talk to warriors like yourself is that you've been successful. You've also failed, which we know failure is the greatest mentor in life. But success leaves breadcrumbs. And so you may be able to leave a few breadcrumbs for people. So the first question is, what is the hardest decision you've ever had to make in your life or biggest regret? Yeah, I mean, I don't get I don't get a lot of decisions. Right. Um, I, I there's so many of them. But but the one that jumps out at me as the most recent was um, when the pandemic hit and having to shut down the races all around the world and how many people to let go and furlough. Um, a buddy of mine runs Saks Fifth Avenue, uh, the antithesis, the antithesis brand of, of Spartan. Uh, he's got two little poodles. I've got a kettlebell. It's just, it's funny that we're both so, so friendly. We both wake up at 5 a.m. and, and uh, shoot shit. But he said to me, he said, listen, literally the day uh, Trump shut the country down, he said, listen, you got to conserve cash. You're going to have to let a ton of people like you have to shoot puppies. So um, those were tough decisions, but it had to be done. It's it's the organization. It's always what's best for the organization because the organization can rebound and then hire people back. I I agree, Uh, though. It's hard for those to understand if they're not. Leadership is not for everyone. And a lot of people would default on, on on the right decision because they just don't want to be unpopular. And that's I think that's the difference between leaders is they know that the right decision is not always the best decision for the people. It's what's right no. for the organization. Uh, greatest mentor of your life and what you specifically learned from them. From them. So many. Um, my dad's not alive. My dad was an amazing mentor. Gave me, you know, now that I'm a dad and I think about all the time he spent, all those dinners talking and every chance he got just kind of oozing that knowledge into my head, like it's exhausting. And, and if anything, I'm falling short with my kids. Um, and so I got to I got to take my hat off to dad and say, like, that was unbelievable. But but I also had an organized crime boss that gave me incredible lessons. I've got an old Italian guy in Ithaca that gave me incredible lessons. I got I, I so I'm so lucky. And, and anybody listening, um, always ask a successful elder for advice, because 99.9 percent of the time they give it like we, we, we're waiting to, to remain relevant. What are those one to three tenants? And I mean, you've written books, multiple books on this, but what are those those one to three keys to success for you that have led to the highest probability uh, of success for you? I, I got a bunch of threes. Um, but the first one, the, yeah, the first three I'm going to give you, I came up with recently for my kids. I wanted to distill and say, what are three things that my four kids and their friends, like if you just do these three things, you're guaranteed success. I think it's genius because I came up with it, of course. <laughs> one, one is communicate like a movie star, especially especially in this world where we're looking at phones, and we're looking at devices. 
learn to communicate like Denzel Washington would or, you know, Russell Crowe, go, go down the list, right? Like when they get up and give a speech, like you are captivated, right? Um, Gabby Reese, Gabby Reese is an amazing communicator. When I'm with her, she like, she makes you think you're so important. So anyway, communicate like a movie star. Secondly, um, work like an immigrant. And for anybody out there, you know, if either of us upset you with our words, remember what my mom said, which is sticks and stones will break your bones. Words should never hurt you. Um, communicate. I mean, work like an immigrant, right? Outwork everybody around you. Get up earlier, show up earlier, stay later, just outwork everybody. And then number three, you got to have gratitude like a monk. That's it. Communicate like a movie star, outwork everybody around you, have gratitude like a monk. Now, gratitude like a monk. Explain that one. Dive into that. Oh, for, just appreciate, like we talked about earlier on the whiteboard, um, if you're living in, if, if, even if it's just mental and you're living in that place where you just have to have water, food, and shelter, you just appreciate everything above that. I remember I didn't know I had COVID and I was out on a 65 mile run this summer because it's a long story. And I didn't know why. I was like sweating. I was dying. I was. I didn't have my wallet and this woman on the side of the road was selling fruit and I convinced her to give me a little bunch of grapes. They were the greatest grapes I ever, it was unbelievable. Like I, I still think about these grapes. And, and so, um, I was so appreciative of the grapes. Now, if you're eating grapes every day and you're living on park Avenue and, um, you know, these grapes are terrible. They're uh, like, you know what I mean? It, It makes for a shitty life and it makes for, um, folks around you, um, don't like being around you. So, you got to be incredibly appreciative of everything we have because anything is better than dead. That's the way I look at it. Now, let me give you three that I got from my, my mob boss neighbor when I was a kid. He hey, said, um, his name was uh, Joe Messina. He was the boss of the uh, Banana Organized Crime family. And he, when I, in my preteens, he invited me over to clean his swimming pool and he was going to teach me how to be in business. And the first day I was there, he said, listen, he said, uh, I told you to come over at 8 a.m., uh, on time is late. You got to be here seven forty-five. He said, "Whenever you, you know, you got to go to any. If I'm going to recommend you to my friends or whatever, you always got to be early. Can't embarrass me." He said, "Secondly, if I'm paying you or people are paying you to clean the pool, you got to go above and beyond. I want you cleaning the lawn furniture, straighten it up, the, the shed, uh, clean the windows. Uh, when people come home, when I come home, it's got to be like, oh my God, I can't live without this kid. And then third, never ask for money, which is counterintuitive. If you're running a business, you, you want to have your hand out, you want to collect money. He said, listen, if you do a good job, you show up you know, before you're supposed to be there, you go above and beyond, you'll get paid. But don't don't show up with your hand out asking for money. And um, those three things have like served me incredibly well in life. So That's interesting coming from a mob boss. That's, I know. I love that. At the end of the day, the mob is still a business, uh, just like every other profession. Uh, Maybe one of the oldest. Uh, Joe, when all is said and done, be that 40 years from now and the time comes, man, as you look back, what's going to be the legacy for you? What's the legacy that you wish or want to leave behind? So here's a great one. So um, I get a lot of time to spend in ancient Sparta. And I I had a Cambridge professor meet me at the ruins, which is not really much of a ruins because the Spartans didn't believe, they didn't believe in legacy. They, what they believed in was, we gotta do a great job in the here and now. And if we do a great job in the here and now, legacy just happens. But if you spend all your time working on leaving a monument or leaving this thing or leaving that thing, you're not doing a great job in the here and now. So I would say, um, I just wanna do a great job now. And and, um, and whatever happens, happens. But this is counter, this is counter to what the ancient Spartans said. 
and maybe I'll piss them off and they'll roll over in their graves. But I do want to build a monument in ancient Sparta for the 300 with 300 tombstones around it. Um, so maybe that's what people will remember me for. Are you working with the, uh, the government over there to try to get it done? Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. That, that's again, that story, whether they wanted a legacy or not, has inspired millions. I remember I seeing that. I, know. I remember our whole recon uh, platoon went and watched that together. And when we went to, and this is San Diego, the theater had other Marine platoons and Navy uh, sections. It was, it sold out for weeks. Amazing, yeah. man. Amazing. Yeah. Well, Joe, I can't thank you enough, again, for the nuggets that you've left all of us. For everyone, just go to Spartan.com, and your next adventure is just one click away. I'll go one further. Um, anybody listening, anybody watching this, um, it's on us, whether it's a Spartan, a Tough Mudder, a DECA, a Highlander. Commit by year end. As long as you commit by year end, send you an email. They want in. They want to they challenge themselves, and it's on us um, because I know – I know how powerful it is, and um, I know you'll become addicted uh, because everybody does, and um, we'll have some fun. That's that's a huge, huge uh, offer there, Joe. And, and I know for the listeners, they they will be thankful and grateful. Well, Joe, thanks for joining us. For all the listeners, thanks for joining another episode of the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli. We'll see you again. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and pick up a new issue of Men's Journal Magazine. Men's Journal Magazine has features on health and fitness, adventure and travel, style, and my favorite, the coolest gear hitting the market today. Until next time, I'm Mike Sorelli, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.